Welcome to the Thrive Theology Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Bethany. We're two Christian women who aim to be grounded in the Word and understand how it applies to our lives. We're passionate about making Christian theology accessible for every woman and equipping others to seek an intimate relationship with Christ. Stay tuned as we dive into today's topic. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive Theology Podcast. Today we are going to be sharing another hero of the faith with you, um, Fanny Crosby, who you may recognize as being a famous hymn writer. Um, So we're going to share with you today about her life and the legacy that she left um, for the church. So our episode today is a little bit shorter just because it's about a person and not necessarily a hotly debated topic, Um, but we will be back with you um, next week. We're going to be starting a more in-depth series once again. So this is a bit of a lighter episode after our in-depth four-part series from this past month, and uh, we hope you enjoy our discussion about Fanny Crosby. We just want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast and to um, find more information on our website if you would like to check out other episodes that we've done or check out our show notes or different resources and links that we have left there, you can head over to thrivetheology.com and see all of that there. So Fanny Crosby's life. Frances Jane Crosby was born on March 24th, 1820 in the village of Southeast in Putnam County, New York. When she was six weeks old, she lost her eyesight due to an infection in her eyes. What She had gotten sick, and a man pretending to be a certified doctor prescribed applying hot mustard dressings to her eyes, and it was thought that this left her blind. Um, this gross malpractice ruined the doctor's reputation, and he left the area, but Fanny was left blind for the rest of her life. Fanny's father died when she was just a few months old, and her mother had to find work as a maid to help support the family. So pretty humble beginnings. As a result of this, uh, Fanny was raised mostly by her Christian uh, grandmother. At one point in her childhood, before she attended school as a teenager, her mother took her to the specialist Dr. Valentine Mott in New York City to see whether her blindness could be cured. Unfortunately, he told Fanny's mother it could not. When she was eight years old, Fanny wrote her first poem. It said, Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented, I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. I'm like not a poet. (laughs) I don't quite understand them, and I definitely have a really hard time writing them. So this is really impressive to me that she was only eight years old. Not only that she wrote a poem, but like that's a really grown up, mature viewpoint on your life. Um, And it's really encouraging to me. Crosby also worked hard at memorizing the Bible. As a child, she could recite the Pentateuch, which you'll remember are the first five books of the Bible, the Gospels, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and many Psalms. She is described as having been a very joyful, playful child who was always participating in games and activities with other children. Obviously, being blind did not hold her back. She began attending the New York Institution for the Blind in New York City in 1835, just before her 15th birthday, and she would continue at the school as a student for 12 years. Throughout her time as a student, Fanny continued to write poetry and verses for various special occasions. At one point, her principal actually discouraged her from continuing to write poetry because he viewed it as a distraction from her other studies. 
In light of all the praise she received from fellow schoolmates for her talent, one wise teacher admonished her, Fanny, shun a flatterer as you would a viper. He really like wanted to warn her against pride. Um, so that's, that was the reason behind his warning. Fanny began to pursue writing poems at the encouragement of a visiting Scottish phrenologist who deemed her a poet. So a phrenologist is somebody who um, studies the configurations of the skulls, like bumps and indents and all that sort of thing, um, and then uses that knowledge to figure out what abilities or character traits somebody might have. So it's, it's kind of like a quack doctor it's thing now. Totally debunked. Yeah, it, it's not a thing. Um, but somehow he was right about Fanny. He told school administrators that they would someday hear from this young lady. While Fanny was in school at the New York Institute for the Blind, the cholera epidemic swept through New York City, and many of the pupils in the school died. At one point, Fanny experienced symptoms, but she took medicine and precautions and entrusted herself to the Lord, and the next day she woke up symptom-free. In 1841, she wrote a eulogy for President William Henry Harrison, and it was published by the New York Herald. Three years later, she published her first book, The Blind Girl and Other Poems. In 1851, Crosby began writing verses for music and was quite successful at it. After she graduated from the school, she began working there as a teacher, and she had this position from 1847 to 1858. Although Fanny had grown up under the influence of many Christians in her life, it wasn't until she was 31 years old that she had full assurance of her salvation. Um, This came about because she had a dream in which a friend of hers was dying and asked her if she would see her in heaven. Um, Although her friend was fine in real life, um, this prompted Fanny to do some soul searching. She wasn't sure where she would end up after she died. So she really started to pursue um, studying the Bible. Following this experience, she joined the Old John Street Methodist Church. While teaching at the school, she met her husband, Alexander Van Alstyne, and they were married in 1858. She was 38 years old at this point. Alexander was also a teacher at the Institute, and he was actually considered to be one of New York's best organists. And I believe he was also blind. It wasn't until 1864 that she began writing hymns. And there's a lot of ambiguity about how many hymns she has actually written. And that's because in an effort to be modest about her hymn writing efforts, she often used pseudonyms. Um, And some sources would estimate up to 200 different pseudonyms. So she's writing these hymns under different names because she doesn't want people to like come back on her. Or have all be like, oh, you wrote all of these and have put her on a pedestal. Some estimates generally are between 5,500 and 9,000 different hymns, which to me, that's astounding being a non-poet. <laughs> yeah, I think the 5,500 um, hymns were the ones that like her publisher had under her name. And then so by the time they estimate all of the ones she did under pseudonyms, they think it's maybe closer to 9,000. So somewhere in there. I suppose if that's your life's work, go for it. Yeah. 
Her husband encouraged her to continue to write hymns and under, under her maiden name, which was widely recognized at this point. Um, that would just help with some continuity of people be able to recognize her name and, and find her in the hymn books and whatever else they were using for hymns at the time. Yeah, because at this point in history, like women took on their husband's name. Um, so a lot of people are like, well, why was she still writing as Fanny Crosby? Well, because her husband was like, hey, you should do this. This is, makes sense. Um, even though it would have been normal for her to take on his name, which I think she did, but she just wrote hymns under her maiden name. One time, a preacher said to her, I think it is a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. Fanny quickly responded, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Which just blows my mind. Me too. Um, One of Fanny's closest friends was William B. Bradbury. He was both a composer and a publisher, and he really appreciated Fanny's work. She worked with his firm for more than 40 years. She would write hymns and sell them um, to his publishing firm. Unfortunately, Bradbury passed away in 1868. His last words to Crosby were, take up my life work where I lay it down. 30 years after Bradbury passed away, Fanny said, of all my friends, I loved him the best. When I get to heaven, I am going to ask first for William B. Bradbury. When I get to heaven, I'm asking for C.S. Lewis, (laughs) which I think I've mentioned before. I think it's neat that she had that awareness of the continuity from our physical earthly life and what it will be like after we're resurrected in a resurrected body. She definitely had a lot of perspective in her life. Mm-hmm. Fanny's hymns received far more accolades and popularity than her poetry did. And this is because mainly her gifting seemed to be in writing worship hymns rather than deeply profound poetry. So rather simple things that people can sing that are memorable. The hymn Safe in the Arms of Jesus um, was written when William Doan, a musician, dropped by her home for a surprise visit on April 30th, 1868. He asked her to write words for a song he had written and that he was supposed to perform for a Sunday school convention, and his train to the convention was leaving in a little over a half an hour. Yeah, he's a procrastinator, it seems like. Just a little bit. So um, he sat down at the piano and he plays this tune that he had written um, but needed words for. Fanny told him that his music said, Safe in the Arms of Jesus. She wrote the words for the hymn in 20 minutes. He caught his train, carrying with him the words of what would soon become a beloved hymn. This hymn was actually a point of repentance for um, a guy named Dr. John Hall, who is the pastor of the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York. Um, And this hymn, like there's lots of different stories of how it really like called a lot of people to repentance um, and was also very comforting for um, parents who had lost children in particular. Some of her most famous hymns include Blessed Assurance, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, To God Be the Glory, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, Rescue the Perishing. Um, There are stories of this one being a pivotal moment in many lost men's lives. And Jesus, Keep Me Near to the Cross. And I'll tell you, it's really hard not to sing the titles of all of those hymns or like some some of the ones that I know well. And it's just neat that I have these embedded in my memory that I can probably sing the words for them now. And they come from this this lady, um, this Christian woman from, you know, 100, 150 years ago. 
After 44 years of marriage, Alexander died in 1902. Fanny herself died in Bridgeport, Connecticut on February 12, 1915, just one month before her 95th birthday. So some final thoughts. The impression that I have from after studying Fanny Crosby is that she is just a reminder to me of how God can use natural and spiritual talents in bigger ways than we could ever imagine. Um, She was a teacher for a long time, and this was kind of something she did on the side, and yet God just used that in such a powerful way, and she was naturally good at it. It's not something, I think sometimes we think we have to really, really work to um, do the things that God wants us to do, and it's like sometimes God just, I would think a lot of the time, your spiritual giftings are the things that you are naturally good at. Um, Even if you don't think that there's a use for it, um, I think God can, God can use that. And so to me, Fanny's story is just a reminder of how God could take her natural talent of writing verses and turn them into something that had a really big impact on his church, um, and souls around the world. I, I really appreciate jumping off of what you said too. She didn't know the influence that her hymns and songs and poems would have. And like, even after she died in 1915, like I know these, I know a lot of her songs and to have that much influence through through that much time to have that be God's plan for her blindness and her talent. That's just a beautiful thing. And I, you know, as a Christian, I get to meet her someday in heaven. Um, That's really, really neat to ask her those questions. Some final thoughts for me is that the humility of this woman of God is so inspiring to have that much talent and to have accolades and people asking for you and people singing your hymns. Like if that's not a possible source of pride, I don't really know what is. And I'm just in like doing her story. I'm just praying that God teaches me to be humble in my own giftings. Um, that even if God gives me like a stage or a platform of, of some way that I would always have the proper perspective on it as Fanny Crosby did. Um, I'm also really encouraged by learning about the lives of faithful Christians. Um, just seeing that currently there are a lot of popular pastors and teachers in Christianity, especially um, North American Christianity, that are being disgraced for, for different reasons. And it can be really disheartening to hear those and having been impacted by these people um, and hearing that they're not the person that you thought they were or they have these major failings and that they're no longer Christians or whatever. Um, and so it's really good to be reminded that you can live a faithful life for God um, and that he can use that for you. A recommended resource for this episode is Fanny J. Crosby biography from Wholesome Words. Um, We do these by faith episodes. We try to do them about every eight episodes um, or shooting for doesn't we don't always hit it. But one of the reasons why I love these little, you know, episodes that we do on people is that um, when I was younger, my mom used to get me these Christian biography books. They're like $3 at the local like Christian bookstore. And reading them was just really encouraging to me and showing how God can use different parts of people's lives for his glory and for his church. And one of the more modern examples of this type of storytelling is the podcast Instrumental by J.J. Heller. And she's interviewing people, she and her husband, Dave Heller. Um, She's a Christian musician and songwriter, singer-songwriter. And they're interviewing different people in their lives, different people in the um, music industry, and just showing the different parts of people's lives that God has his hand in and which ones are instrumental. Um, And that's been really encouraging in my life, and I encourage you to check it out. That's the Instrumental Podcast by J.J. Heller. 
Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of the Thrive Theology Podcast. As always, you can find us on our website at thrivetheology.com. We've got some blog articles. You can find links to our social media, Thrive Theology, um, on um, Instagram. We share different resources and episodes on Thursdays. Um, We are obviously open there for DMing. You can ask us any questions, comments, whatever. We would love to interact with you, our listeners. If you have any episode suggestions, um, we'd love to hear those. And it's just so such a blessing that um, you have listened to this episode and we hope it has encouraged you and you and your walk and your faith. Thanks for listening. Bye.